Good morning, my name is David Cassidy. I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River Church, and it's a joy to welcome you. If you're new with us today, we're in the middle of a series called Remember the Church. As we think deeply together and work together towards reconnecting as the body of Christ. As you know, it's a a season in which many people have been disrupted and disconnected in those relationships. So it's vital for us to dig into the scriptures and see how the Lord intends to knit our lives together in a fabric of fellowship. And one of the most important ways he does that is, of course, bringing us together around his table where we reconnect there. All of this got me thinking um, uh, this last week over um, what the, the best restaurants in, in Boca Raton might be. I mean, new guy, i got to, you know, check that stuff out, right? So I looked up and I found the top listing of the top five restaurants in, in, in Boca. So, so here they are. Capital Grill came in at number five. Um, number four, Casimir. Number three, 2020 Grill. Number two, Six Tables. Number one, Spanish River Church was listed as the uh, top restaurant. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> you say, well, what, what's that about? Well, it's really not shocking is it, that God's house would be a place of feasting and fellowship. Because the whole revelation of God in Scripture from beginning to end is the story of a magnificent banquet with incredible implications. Adam and Eve arrived on the scene hungry, and God said, you see everything around, you can, you can eat everything around, but don't eat there, and, and they did. <laughs> but the, the Bible begins to unfold a story of God coming to his people and saving them and redeeming them through a whole series of meals that culminates in Jesus gathering his disciples around a table to establish the new covenant and saying, this bread which is broken is my body that is given and this wine that is poured is my blood that is shed. And all of it is taking us forward to where does history wrap up? Just as it began with a magnificent meal where we hear in the book of Revelation at the end, blessed are all those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of you can hardly wait for that meal? And this meal that we celebrate today around this table is in anticipation of that great last day, and it is also a continuation of that meal that Jesus established, which is itself rooted in that rescuing, redeeming meal that God gave to the people of Israel at Passover. Now, nowhere is that subject more particularly unpacked by the apostles than in this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn there, either in a printed Bible or in your app. You can follow along on the screen as well. It's a lengthy passage. It's in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. I'm going to read it, ask you to read it along with me. I'll make some comments on it as we go through it. We're going to start in chapter 10, verse 1, and that's where Paul talks about Israel's experience in the wilderness. So he takes it all the way back. They've had the celebration, the Passover meal, in which they're gathered around the table, and God has met with and saved all those who were at the table while judgment was in the streets. And then they have come out, and they've gone through the Red Sea, and they're now in the wilderness, and they have to be sustained and nourished in that journey towards the promised land. What happened in that time? Chapter 10, verse 1, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers 
were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And not only were they baptized into Moses, there's that first sacrament, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. You go, man, I remember reading the book of Exodus and I remember reading the, the book of Numbers and their experience in the wilderness. I don't remember Jesus showing up there. I remember there was a rock and there was water that came from the rock and I remember that there was manna they picked up six mornings a week. But it turns out that what was going on is that the Lord was not only nourishing them Physically, he was nourishing them spiritually. They were drinking and they were eating from Christ. Christ was going with them through the wilderness. Now, what Paul goes on to say here in chapter 10 is that just as there was something spiritual that was going on for Israel in that time, that was behind the scenes of what they were sensing and seeing, that beautiful water, that glorious manna, that as they picked it up and they ate it, says it tasted like honey, that, that behind the scenes there, there was something going on. Also, in other forms of eating and drinking, there can likewise be other things going on. So if you drop down here in chapter 10, look at in verse um, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, this is chapter 10, verse 15 now. I speak to sensible people. Judge yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing, that's referring to this cup here on the table, which we bless, is it not a participation, a communion, a, a fellowship in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation, a fellowship, a communion in the body of Christ? There is one bread and we who are many are one body for all partake of one bread. And so, it's, so Paul says that when we drink from this cup and when we eat this bread, we're not just eating bread and we're not just drinking wine, that there are spiritual events taking place. We have a communion and a fellowship in the body and the blood of Christ. Are you saying, well, pastor, are you saying that the bread becomes the body on the table and the wine becomes the blood on the table? No, the reformers like Calvin and Luther and Knox and others were at pains to say, no, it's not that this is transformed into the body and blood of Christ, but that when we receive the bread and the wine by faith, they are a means of grace by which we do receive the body and blood of Christ in our souls by faith. We receive that. So there's something more going on here than meets the eye. You see bread, you see wine, but by faith you are receiving and having communion in the body and blood of Christ. Now that wasn't strange to the Corinthians because they were people who participated in meals at pagan temples. And Paul points out something to them about that. He says... Um, uh, down here in this verse, verse 20, I, do, do I, he says, I don't want you to be participants with demons. He says in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. One of the things that was going on there for the Corinthians is that they were uh, continuing to have meals in the temples of their idols and coming to the Lord's table. And he's saying, don't you realize that when you eat 
those particular meals in those temples that there are dark powers that are behind what you are participating in. And you cannot go on saying, I'm going to have communion in the body and blood of Christ if you're going to go on also eating and drinking in a pagan temple and having communion with dark forces. You're going to have to draw a line here. So Paul's saying that this this table is a place where you draw a line and you're forsaking an old life and you're understanding that you have been brought out of the darkness and slavery of death and sin and you've been brought to Christ and now he's going to nourish your soul. Just like he cared for Israel in the wilderness, he brought them through the wilderness to the promised land, he nourished them there. This is how God is going to nourish you and take you all the way to the land of your inheritance. Now, what Paul begins to do next is he begins to talk to them about what happens at the table and it's not very pleasant what he says. I just got to tell you. Because there was so much division in the Corinthian church. Those divisions were, you know, they were legion. But part of the division was between the haves and the have-nots, between the rich and the poor, the people who viewed themselves as possessing privilege and those who saw themselves as left out and marginalized. And Paul said those divisions have erupted out of your culture into your church life. Now, of course, have you noticed that our society has got some divisions going on in it? You may have picked up on that. And so one of the things that can happen is the stuff that's going on in the culture can work its way, it can insinuate itself into the body of believers, and that can create divisions and anger and angst and envy and displeasure and bitterness and unforgiveness in the body of Christ. And what Paul's saying is, if you live in those divisions then when you come to this table, it doesn't even turn out to be the table that you're celebrating. Let's pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 11. In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part... There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Oh, they were eating all right. They were drinking all right. But even though they were going through the motions, it really wasn't the Lord's Supper they were getting. Why? Why? Because they were allowing the divisions of the street and their status and their culture to shape who they were at that table. You see, at this table is where we recognize our connection to Christ and our connection to each other. That's critical. And so Paul says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. How's that for a church service? My goodness. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. That's a strong letter. You would not want to get Corinthians in the mail. I'm just telling you. And then he goes on to say what this meal really is all about. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. On the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread... When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's a word that is coming forward out of this action, this eating and drinking together. It's a proclamation of Christ's death. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat, and so drink of the cup. Now notice he doesn't say, examine yourself and don't eat, don't drink. The examination is meant to expose the sin, the anger, the bitterness, the divisions in our heart, and we confess them. We say, Lord, that's true concerning us. Please forgive us and renew us in our union with you and restore us in fellowship with others. Reconnect us in the body of Christ. Eat and drink. It's not examine yourself and then go, oh, man, I'm not worthy. No, it's examine yourself, see the sin, confess the sin to the Savior who died to forgive you. Amen? And then so eat and drink. And so he says, if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. What's it mean to discern the body? Well, they weren't discerning the body because they were all despising each other. The people who were rich and wealthy, they're like, well, I'm something, and looking at the people without anything, and they're going, and you're nothing. And all these people over here without much, they're going, yeah, I'm a nobody. And Paul addresses that in the text we've been learning in chapter 12, that no Christian can say, I don't need you, to another Christian. And no Christian can say, I'm not needed, because every single one of us have been baptized by the Spirit into the body. We're connected to Christ, and we're connected to one another. The church is not an optional extra. It's the community of the redeemed who are committed together to bear witness to Jesus in the world. And there we grow in our faith. He goes on to say that it's because of this many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we won't be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. That's the word of the Lord. So we don't want this to be for judgment, do we? He says the cup is a cup of what? It's a cup of blessing. It's a cup of life. Jesus on the cross drained the cup, he drained it to the dregs, the cup of the wrath of God, the judgment of God, so that you and I could have in our hands the cup of the blessing of God. So here is this feast that we come to. What is this feast? What does it really mean? Well, I'm going to give you three things this morning, just very briefly as we come to the table. Number one, this is a meal that is a sacrament. It's a sacrament. For hundreds of years, God's people have referred to this Right as a sacrament. Well, that's a kind of big word. What does that, what does that mean? Well, it's um, this English word sacrament comes from the Latin sacramentum, which is a translation of a Greek term, mysterion, something that is a mystery. Now, when you and I think of mystery, we think of something we don't understand. And, of course, we don't completely grasp how this works. But in the Bible, a mystery is something which is hidden but revealed in Jesus. So in Jesus, we see the fulfillment of the mystery. And the mystery is this, that Christ has given himself for us and then given us this meal so that having given himself once and for all to die for us at the cross, 
he continues to give himself to us to nourish us in our faith so that we grow. He gives us his body and his blood so that we understand that through physical means we are participating in spiritual realities. You go, well, how does that work? I mean, is that real? I mean, how, I mean is, is that biblical? I mean, people do something physical here with bread and wine, with eating and drinking. How can eating and drinking be spiritual? I mean, I get how fasting is spiritual, but feasting? How is feasting spiritual? How is it spiritual to be invited to the king's table? Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a feast that a, a yearning host prepared and invited his guests, and he wants his whole house to be full. So it's deeply spiritual. But again, spiritual realities are involved. Adam and Eve, they ate and drank and died. The Corinthians were eating and drinking and getting sick and dying. There's a spiritual reality that was going on. Corinthian pagans were eating and drinking in those temples and having fellowship participation with, with dark powers. God came to Israel in Egypt and he said, I want you to gather at a table. Get the whole family together. Take a lamb, slay it, put it on the table. We're gonna, you're going to cook that. You're going to eat it. This Passover feast, put the blood on the doorpost. Everybody around the table will live. And he delivered them. And he brought them out of the house of bondage and he brought them through the wilderness and he brought them into the land of promise. Every single bit of that is critical. And that's why Paul says here, when you drink this wine and when you eat this bread, he says, is not the cup of blessing a participation in, a fellowship in, a communion in the blood of Christ? You are receiving the blood of Christ in your soul. Is it not a communion in the body of Christ? You're receiving the body of Christ in your soul. Now, many of you would say, well, I'm not quite sure how that works. But listen, listen to this. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. What is the sacrament? It is a visible word. It is a visible word. See, you hear a sermon preached, and you know that that is food for your soul. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Food and word is always tied together in the Bible. Jeremiah said, your words were found, and I ate them, and they became to the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. And so there's always this connection between word and the feast, and when you hear a sermon, you trust and hope that it will nourish your soul. In the same way, this is a visible word. When you take that bread, when you take that wine, that also is a visible word that is nourishment for your soul. And it's critical that we get that because these spiritual realities are part of who we are. This means that you and I have been called into this place where we're seeing something that is deeply spiritual. That's the second thing. It's not only a sacrament, it is deeply spiritual. It is a physical means by which a spiritual grace is communicated to you. We have a participation in the body and blood of the Lord. What is it doing? It's showing us that we are united to Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, when somebody wanted to make a covenant and unite together, they would sit down at a meal. They would sit down at a table. They would say, we are one. To have hospitality with someone, to invite them to the table, was to say, we are now united together. We are aware 
of that connectionalism that we have. We know that one of the saddest things in the world is to eat alone. And so we look for friends. Some of you are making lunch plans as you're listening to me now. Who can we go to lunch with? Where shall we go? Because we long to connect. We want our family around a table. We want to be with our friends. I admire our young adults ministry, bunch of them sitting over here. I don't, they eat together all the time. They get together, they eat more than any people I've ever seen. I do not know how they are so skinny. They eat, they go after frozen yogurt. I don't know how they do it. If I ate like they eat, I'd be even fatter than I am right now. I'm in shape, it's a round shape, but I'm in shape, okay. These people are like skinny eaters. I don't know how they do that. It's a, it's a gift of the spirit or something that's happening in their lives. But we know that to eat is to connect. And this meal is showing our union spiritually with Christ and our union spiritually with each other. This is a spiritual reality. And this means that we're entering into a mystery here. You see, sometimes people will say, well, this is just a symbol. Just a symbol. Whenever somebody says it's just a symbol, just duck. Because lightning bolts may be coming, okay? It's like, ah, let me take a couple steps back here, okay? Because, look, that's just a, it is a symbol, it is a sign, but that's a misunderstanding even of what symbols are. Symbols are symbols, but symbols communicate realities that are greater than what the symbol is. There are symbols in our culture which if you denigrate or desecrate, you can pay a price for that. Because symbols actually matter. So is it a symbol? Yes. Some people say, well, it's just for your memory. It's just to make you, it doesn't really do anything. It's not really spiritual. It's just something to help your memory. Well, I understand why you might be led to think that it's not really doing something. But remember, Paul said, this is a fellowship in the blood of Christ, a fellowship in the body of Christ. It's a real communion, a participation in those things. You are doing something physical that has a spiritual reality attached to it. But you say, what about that word remembrance? Yeah, remembrance. Well, aren't you just supposed to remember something? Well, here's what happens. People take communion and they take the little bread and they take the little cup. And they go, I'm trying really hard to remember the cross. Well, you weren't there. Or were you? Or were you? You see, Paul put it this way. I, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, he'd never seen Jesus. He'd never met Jesus. He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He never saw him preach. He never saw his work in Jerusalem or around Galilee. And yet he said he was crucified with Christ. He goes on to say in Romans that we have been buried with Christ through baptism into death. So that just as he was raised from the dead, so we too are raised to walk in newness of life. We're united with Christ. So baptism is that once and for all event in our life that talks about our birth in Christ, that unites us to him. You get baptized once. Now, I know bunches of you have been baptized like 47 times, okay? But uh, you don't need to be, all right? What, the, the, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So even if you've been baptized multiple times, I'm going to tell you it's the first one that took, just so you know, okay? Just say that in passing, all right? Because you can only be born the one time. So you're united to Christ, okay? And you, you have this birth, this cleansing. You're once and for all cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and you're born of water and the Spirit. But then, having been born, you have to go on being nourished. Every parent knows this. Every parent knows that if you just keep sticking peanut butter sandwiches in the mouths of those kids, they turn into a, adults. 
They just grow up. So God is determined to nourish us, to give us the grace to grow in our faith. How does he do, How does he do that? Well, the Bible talks about these means of grace. Here's bread. Here's wine. Here's the message. Here's prayer. Here's worship. These are means of grace by which God grows you and strengthens you in the faith. Why would you ever turn down one of God's means to grow you in the faith? Well, of course, you would crave it. You would want it. You go, I want every means of grace God can give me so that I can grow and mature in my faith. That's what you want. It's not just something for your, your memory. You see, that word remembrance isn't just about recalling something. Do this, Jesus said, in remembrance of me. What does that mean? Well, you see, some of you, no doubt, have Jewish friends. Some of you are from a Jewish background. You would celebrate Passover every year. And there are certain rites within the rite. There are certain ritual actions and words that are spoken within that point. There's a beautiful particular moment in that Passover meal when a question is asked by a child. Why is this night different than all other nights? Why is this night different than all other nights? And the answer is given. Because on this night, the Lord delivered our fathers. Is that what's said? No, it isn't. No, because on this night, the Lord delivered us from the hand of the Egyptians. He delivered who? Us. How can people living in 2021 say that on the night of Passover, God delivered them? You see, the word that's used here, anamnesis, that's the Greek word for remembrance, anamnesis. What's that sound like? Sounds like amnesia, which is to forget. But anamnesis is to remember. But that word does not mean simply to recall. It means to enter into the events that took place. And that means that what happens at the table, what happens in a sacrament, communion and baptism, is that you are entering into what took place. How can what Jesus did 2,000 years ago impact you now? It's anamnesis. How can what God did for Israel 3,000 years ago be something people today say, God delivered us? How can you say at the cross, something that happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus forgave me? It's because you have been united to him through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, and he made it real in your heart right now. You go, How, that's a mystery. How does he do that? Yeah, that's a mysterious work of the Spirit. And this bread and this wine keeps bringing you back to that event. And here's why. Because we forget the gospel. We forget it. All week long, we forget it. We forget that we've been freed from shame. We forget that we've been united to one another. We forget that our sins are forgiven. But every single time you see this loaf and every time you see this cup, it's a visible sign to you. Do you see this? You're forgiven. Do you see this? You're united to Christ. Do you see this? The Holy Spirit has taken you out of the world and joined you to the Son of God, and you are his forever. And that's why this meal is unlike every other meal. 
It is a sacred meal. We consecrate this bread. We pray a prayer of consecration. We set it aside. We consecrate the wine, and we set it aside. We set it aside. We say, this is now set apart. It's not transformed. Its substance is not changed, but its status is changed. And that is what has happened to you. Because you have come to Christ, your status in the world has been changed. You are now part of the body of Christ. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy people that belong to God. You are not who you were. You're not who you're going to be, but you're sure not who you were. And on this journey to who you're going to be, God is going to nourish you with his word. And he's going to fill you with his spirit. And he's going to nourish you with bread and wine from the king's table. You are a holy people that are going to be nourished by the Lord. And that's why Paul said, you're dealing here with something that is a sacrament, something that is spiritual, something that is sacred. So don't treat it like you'd treat any other meal. You say, well, all I've got is that little, little, you know, you know, container I got. It doesn't look like a very big meal. That's part of the mystery too, isn't it? See, these people were all overeating. These wealthy, rich people, they're getting everything, you know, and not leaving anything for anybody else. And over the years, Christians went, let's just even it out. Let's not leave any room for those kinds of divisions. We don't have those divisions. We don't make those dis- distinctions. And so whether you're born in the United States or born in Haiti or born in Brazil or born in Spain or born in Mexico or born in South Africa or born in the United Kingdom or born in China, wherever you were born, you're just all part of the body of Christ. And whether you're wealthy or whether you're middle class or whether you have nothing and you're impoverished, no matter what your economic status may be, and no matter what your ethnicity is, and no matter what your gender is, you're here in the body of Christ and this table is for you. And it doesn't even, it doesn't even matter if you're a Presbyterian or not because it is not a Presbyterian table, it's the Lord's table. So, so you go, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic, I'm not sure I can come. It's the Lord's table. Are you the Lord's people? Then you belong at the table. Well, I'm a Baptist. Well, we forgive you. But it's the Lord's table. It's the Lord's table. Not mine. It's not the SRC table. It's not a Presbyterian table. It's the Lord's table. It's the Lord's supper. It's the Lord's body. It's the Lord's blood. And we are one in him. We are connected to him and connected to each other. That's why it says, examine yourself. Discern the body. Discern the body. Do you have anger in your heart? Envy, unforgiveness, bitterness, lust. Do you have those things in your heart? The answer to that question is yes, we do. It's, but look, look what Paul said, examine yourself and so eat and so drink. Not examine yourself and don't. It's examine yourself so that you can. Because here's what happens. When you examine your heart and you get real and you say, look at the state of my heart, what a mess. Yeah. And we confess it. We say, Lord, you see, I own this. I'm confessing my sins to you. What does this bread and this, and this cup say about our sins? It says they're what? They're forgiven. And the scriptures say if you confess 
your sins. God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this is a visible word, a public proclamation to you. God says, you see this bread? You see this cup? You're forgiven. I forgive you. Confess it. Own it. And then say, Lord, cleanse me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And see, then you can look at all the other people sitting around you and say, you know what? All those divisions, we're going to forget those. All those old wounds, we're going to let the Lord heal them. All those old divisions, out the door. We are one. We belong to him, to Christ, and we belong to each other. So, my friends, we're going to come to the table. On your way in, you could pick up one of those little cups and with some bread there. If you didn't pick one up and you want to, there are some stations over here on the side where you can get some, and I want you to participate with us. We're going to take some time now to come to the table, and that starts by treating this as a sacred meal and saying, okay, Lord, we're going to examine ourselves. We're going to confess our sins, and so what I'm going to ask you to do is just quietly, right where you're seated, take a moment, and in your own words, silently in your own heart, talk to the Lord and say, God, let's get real for a minute. You know how I've been angry. You know how I've been prideful. You know how I've been bitter. And just confess it and say, Lord, forgive me. Let's be, let's be silent before the Lord and in our hearts tell him the truth. Tell him what he already knows. Lord, have mercy upon us. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayer and you forgive our sins through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Hey, look up here. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. We're going to eat and drink all together, so hang on to that cup for just a minute, okay? And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. This do, Jesus said, in remembrance of me. And so let's pray now and set aside this bread, this wine, here on this table, what you have in your hands. Lord, we thank you for these gifts of bread and wine which are now set aside in the name of Christ. Pour out your spirit on us that these might be a means of grace so that by eating and drinking in your name, we may have true communion in the body and blood of Christ. And we thank you for this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, my friends, all of you who've been baptized... All of you who have put your faith in Christ, all of you who do not trust in any righteousness of your own to commend you to God, but trust in Christ alone as your Savior, who died for you, who rose for you, all of you who've put your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to take that little piece of bread and all together now, let us with thankful hearts take 
and eat. Now let's take the cup. Brothers and sisters, with thankful hearts, this is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Let's take and drink. Amen. Thanks be to the Lord for his indescribable gift. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord.